Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you have those three anomalies that happen, it's good to stop what you're doing, regroup, consider a new plan, and most importantly, not to ignore those anomalies or normalize them in any way. Little is known about the man known as Sovereign on the trail, who hikers said had created an unnerving atmosphere for weeks along the trail in Georgia, Tennessee, North Carolina, and Virginia. In a situation where somebody's going to be an aggressor to you, like this AT tragedy, is you you get away. You just create distance between you and the threat. And when you can't run away anymore, then you hide. And when you are hiding and the threat is still right in front of you, you got to do something. That's when you fight. And you fight with everything you got, like a wild animal. Hey guys, welcome to The Survival Show Podcast with Craig and me, David, and producer Ben, not Craig, he's not here, where it is our job to take you step-by-step through the mindset, skills, tactics, and gear you need to survive almost any crisis, emergency, or disaster, and show you how to use the lessons that you learned today to thrive in your life tomorrow. Craig, no joke, Ben's not here. Now, I'm just going to say it's not totally his fault. We had to change the scheduling for this podcast and he had to go play ultimate frisbee i don't know much about it is that not all year season because it seems like he plays all the time it is a season they do a, a bit of a winter league and that's mostly done in gyms but this is the time for tournaments and all that sort of stuff he's in a couple of leagues and he's actually pretty good and i think he's the coach so he can't not go but he apologized he was going to be here with us if we had been able to do it earlier how are you doing today doing pretty good man um busy as a daggone bee so that time of year for Craigie. It is that time of the year. Teaching classes, uh, got a bunch of writing assignments, got all kinds of cool stuff assigned to me, Field and Stream and four or five other magazines. So yeah, I'm on a roll, baby. On a oh, roll. You got, you got more in Field and Stream. I'm Craig Cottle, man. Why do you ask questions like that? <laughs> I wrote for them. They saw my product and they want more. So yeah. So with that said, guys, our mission here is to help you progressively increase your survival IQ so you leave out of here better prepared at the end of the show than you were here right now at the beginning. And coming up, we're going to be talking about this incredibly terrible tragedy Mm. uh, that is detailing the hiker that was killed and another that was severely injured on the Appalachian Trail on May 11. Uh, What we want to do is cover uh, some of the indicators that something was terribly wrong before the attack happened. We also want to discuss why it is basically human nature to recognize the warning signs and ignore them. (laughs) Uh, It's kind of human nature, and we'll discuss how to recognize that and how to overcome that problem. Uh, Finally, we're going to discuss some specifics on self-defense on the trail in general, as well as specifically address what we know about this attack and what this person encountered that was killed. Uh, but the one thing I want to make sure when we discuss these topics, it, topics, it really bothers me that I, that people may think that we're victim blaming or second guessing, and we're not that at all. We just recognize that this is a this is a true survival situation, and we want to help people come up with solutions moving forward. And more than anything, I don't want 
somebody's tragedy to be something that didn't have meaning and and if this tragedy helps people moving forward then it it definitely has a purpose that we're going to use it for for that so that's what this is all about yeah this is a terrible topic that we cannot in this day and age avoid anymore and this is the time of the year where we really need to be aware of what's going on out there on the trail and in rural wilderness areas and um yeah so it's it's just the day we live in isn't it craig it is unfortunately so before we get into all this guys a lot of you have been asking how you can support craig and i and what we're doing here on youtube and elsewhere so that we can keep providing you the potentially life-saving content that we're doing for free here like in this podcast so i just wanted to give you guys five quick ways that you can help us out and like craig says hbo help a brother out one would be the tiny survival guide and gear. I just want to let you guys know that this this is a great avenue, and we're probably going to talk a little bit about the, the tiny guide, only because it does cover some of the things that we're going to talk about today. And it, you guys should have it anyway, but 100% of the profit from that goes to Craig and I. So I just want to let you guys know that one, too, is get Craig's books. Craig has three fantastic books out right now that are doing super well on Amazon. And I also want to encourage you guys to set a goal over the next 12 months to get out and take at least one of Craig's classes. Also, you can support our sponsors, whoever the sponsor is for a podcast or our YouTube channels. And I want to tell you about a new opportunity, guys. This is, we have a new hosting platform for the podcast. It's called Anchor FM forward slash The Survival Show. And there's a button there that says support this podcast. So we get nearly 100% of the money there, and that helps us. Uh, you guys have heard us mention Producer Ben, and now we have Aaron over here on my side of the uh, the podcast helping us to produce podcasts and videos and stuff for you guys. So this money helps me to pay them so they can help us out to provide more content. And we have thesurvivalshow.com. You can join the tribe over there and access some subscriber-only content. Craig, do you have anything else on this before we get into this particular topic? No, man, that all sounds good. We appreciate everybody's support. I'm I'm ready to rock and roll on this. This is this is so heavy on me right now. I want to get into it and try to help some people. Okay, let's get into it, man. So, guys and gals, what I thought I'd do is uh, I picked. <laughs> Man, there are so many different news stories out there, but I picked one that pretty much covered it all because I'm sure there's some of you uh, that have not heard of this story yet. Uh, I taught a class this morning before we recorded this that uh, we were discussing it and, and three quarters of the people in the class had not heard of this story. So what I thought I'd do is read this story quick. It's a short one um, that I, I got this from the Roanoke News out of Virginia, the Roanoke Times out of Virginia. Um, the title of the article is Hiker Killed on Appalachian Trail Identified. And here's the story. Federal authorities have identified the man stabbed on the Appalachian Trail over the weekend as Ronald S. Sanchez Jr. The 41, 43-year-old man from Oklahoma died and woman was wounded in an attack on the footpath in Wythe County early Saturday morning. Authorities did not identify the woman who was stabbed multiple times with a large knife and her condition is unknown. James Lewis Jordan, 30, of Massachusetts has been charged with murder and assault with intent to murder. Little is known about the man known as Sovereign, 
on the trail, who hikers said had created an unnerving atmosphere for weeks along the trail in Georgia, Tennessee, North Carolina, and Virginia. He appeared Monday in federal court in Abingdon, I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing that improperly, where U.S. Magistrate Judge Pamela Mead Sargent ordered Jordan to undergo a competency examination. Through word of mouth and online forums, hikers warned their peers about a man behaving erratically and threatening people with a knife. They said he verbally attacked people who tried to share a shelter with him, left graffiti such as swastikas on the shelters and damaged shelter registers that hikers used to document their travels. Some hikers traveling within 10 to 15 miles of him said they planned to round his whereabouts to avoid camping near him at night. Jordan was arrested in April in Unicoi County, Tennessee, after he allegedly threatened other hikers and was arrested on a misdemeanor charges. He pleaded guilty to charges of possession of marijuana and providing false identification. He was fined, placed on probation, and released. The sheriff there said he couldn't do much more to hold Jordan since hikers did not want to press charges and return to testify in court. On Friday night, Jordan approached four hikers in Smith County. According to court documents, the hikers were familiar with him based upon information circulating about him on the trail. The hikers made camp in Wythe County. Jordan approached their tents and threatened to pour gasoline on their tents and burn them to death, according to an affidavit prepared affidavit prepared by the FBI Special Agent Micah Childers. According to the affidavit, as the four people prepared to leave, Jordan came at them with a knife. Two hikers ran and escaped Jordan. When he returned to the campsite, he stabbed Sanchez. The woman with Sanchez ran, but Jordan caught up with her, stabbing her multiple times. After she played dead, Jordan left, and the woman was able to return. Or the, the woman was able to run and find other hikers to help her and call 911 about 2.30 a.m. It's unknown that the four hikers are all connected. It's not uncommon for hikers to set off alone and form groups. This is the season when hikers are trying to compete the, complete the entire trail. The Appalachian Trail stretches 2,190 miles through 14 states from Georgia to Maine. This is important to understand. Last sentence. Violence is rare on the Appalachian Trail. There have been eight documented killings at the hands of another person since 1974, which is when the first known killing happened. That's the story. That's the background. Yeah, I'm going to emphasize that last paragraph, Craig. And we had talked about this when we had kicked around approaching the story as a podcast. And we do not want people to be, you know, just unhealthily fearful of getting out on the trail, right? Yeah, no, I, I want to I want to emphasize that for everybody. This is, it's, it's so incredibly unlikely that someone would fall victim to this sort of attack. So it's not something to be paranoid about. It's definitely something to be prepared for, but it's definitely something we don't need to be paranoid about. That's for sure. Yep. Even this morning, just having an awareness of these sorts of things and being out on the trail a lot with my wife, uh, you know, we live in a rural area. There's a, a seldom used road that goes past the road that we live off of. And we hike that, we walk that road quite often. And this morning there was a white sprinter van with no windows and a not local license plate that was going kind of slow up the road. And I waved to him, which is a custom around here. He didn't wave back. And so my wife and I just noticed several things there that were just generally not normal. And we just had a discuss. We just had a discussion, Craig, about the fact that she walks that road often on her own. And this wasn't 
it wasn't terribly early or late in the day. It's just, there's not that many. There were, we literally, we will go for a four mile walk. You, you know where I live, Craig. We'll go for a four, four mile walk just out, out our drive, which is a quite a long private drive and then down the road and we'll do that walk and we won't see a single car. And I, I just told her that, y- you know, uh, she's been attending some of the human trafficking type things and mentioning that there's human trafficking going on even in our rural areas and that those sorts of things are the things that even in those circles they're trying to make people aware of that they just at least need to be aware of them and be prepared so again it just kind of gets back to we don't live in that day that i grew up in where everybody knew everybody's name on the street and everybody watched out for each other and you know the crazy things that we hear every day, are they because we just have so much more access to the media or are they happening at a more frequent rate? Either way, I I think it's just good to be prepared. So that's my opening statement. (laughs) Where do you want to go from here? I'm a whole, I'm, I'm on board with you. And I meant to tell you since again, we need to talk more often, but, but uh, I've got a expert on human trafficking to come on and talk to us as well. Uh, he, he, it's just one of those things like he's saying, just tell me when bro. And I'll be there. I mean, this is a guy that deals with it on an international and local basis. So, but anyway, uh, we'll do that some other time. But one of the big things that I wanted to cover and, and David mentioned that when he was discussing what he and Karen experienced is there are a lot of warning signs when something like this could possibly occur. And as one of our good tracking students, uh, said in a discussion on this topic on Facebook earlier, you've always got to be looking for the disturbance in the baseline. And, and whatever the baseline is, uh, in David's particular scenario, there's not usually vehicles there. People usually wave at one another. He didn't recognize the person. These are all anomalies. And that doesn't mean that wham, bam, he pulls out a gun and starts shooting somebody. That's crazy. What he does do is he pays attention to where that person is. He knows that there's distance between him and that person. And I would constantly be looking for a place to go. I would be constantly telling my wife, Hey, if he gets out and get onto us, gets after us, this is what I want you to do. You need to have a plan for that because these warning signs were there and these warning signs were there for this particular situation on the AT too. Uh, this gentleman, when I, I shouldn't use the word gentleman, because this, this psychopath uh, determined that he was going to try to bring harm. And he had been basically, creating a nuisance for people for four states. I mean, that is a long way, you all. And um, I, I read about 10 different news articles on uh, this particular situation, not just the one that I shared. And people just, they were afraid that if they brought charges on him, they were going to have to get off the trail. Uh, it mentions that briefly in the article I just read. And through hikers, section hikers are all about, hey, I'm getting 20 miles in today, 30 miles in today. I've got to do this to stay on track. And they did not want to lose time on the trail. And so, you know, uh, that's that is a tough call. If you've you've been waiting most of your life to hike the AT <laughs> and you are and then you have to get off of it for an injury, you have to get off of it for weather or some psychopath like this, then it's it's pretty demoralizing. Um, but those warning signs were there and they chose not to do anything when they had the chance to bring charges against him, really. Uh, at one point, this 
person verbally attack those in a shelter that he was staying with, which is just another indicator that he was unstable. Uh, again, the graffiti that he utilized where he put up swastikas, uh, he damaged the shelters. If you're not familiar with hiking long trails like that, or maybe even going into some parks, you may see this where you can sign into a trail and, and sign out that you're leaving and going a different direction or what have you. Uh, he damaged a, several of those at some of the shelters. And these are all things that that we know that he was doing that are indicators that something is incredibly incredibly wrong so it's it's again goes back to baseline versus disturbance Uh, the baseline was everybody on the at is typically really friendly everybody has a trail name everybody's congenial and supportive and encouraging and this person was not his behavior was way way outside the norm and because of that it should have brought alarm to everybody and and uh it, it at least should not go unnoticed. Craig, can you just step back to one thing? Because I know all the time we've got new listeners and we've covered this before. Can you just step back and talk about the critical rule of threes and how that relates to this disturbance versus baseline and, and how that should raise our awareness and exactly what it is? So the rule of threes, you all, is just a, a real basic, incredibly basic mindset for survival. Uh, you can't live more than three minutes without blood flow and oxygen flow. You can't live more than three hours without maintaining your core body temp. You can't live more than three days without water. You can't live more than three weeks without food. You can't live more than three months without human assistance. So with all that said, um, you've those are your priorities in order. And you have to consider those in any survival situation. Anytime you go into the wilderness, whether it's a one-hour day hike to look for mushrooms or a multi-month through hike of the Appalachian Trail, then you definitely, definitely want to consider your personal safety. Uh, that's what we always throw into blood flow and oxygen flow. Obviously, you want to know first aid, but um, your safety is of paramount importance. And so anything that's going to threaten your safety is something to not ignore. You want to pay attention to it and start taking necessary precautions to uh, protect yourself in any situation, whether it's uh, loose shale on a uh, an incredibly steep slope so that you don't fall down the down the mountainside, or it's some psychopath that is threatening people with a knife. You need to not ignore that. Now I'm going to throw in here with the critical rule of threes, and you had alluded to this, and it it's basically another rule of threes to make it easy to remember. And it's a, again, a very general concept where when there's three strange things or three anomalies that happen to the baseline, it's a really good. And in this particular instance, this guy, I mean, the critical rule of threes was the alarms were going off all over the place and just some general ideas of, of what to do, whether this happens you know, whether you're seeing multiple snakes on a trail or whether the weather's turning and you don't have provisions to make a shelter and fire, it's when you have those three anomalies that happen, it's good to stop what you're doing, regroup, consider a new plan, and most importantly, not to ignore those anomalies or normalize them in any way. Do you have anything else to say on that one too, Craig? Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. I think I misunderstood <laughs> what you were asking, which is fine. I think they're both important discussions. So I'm glad they you are. brought that yeah. up. But the the critical rule of threes is something that comes out of what is called the combat rule of threes, 
which is anytime, again, as David said, I don't want to repeat it. You see three things that are different than you. You've got to change what you're doing. And in combat, you know, if you have three anomalies that are happening, it's a problem then you move your position. You don't want to sit there and get killed, right? So it's basically the same thing in this particular tragedy that we're discussing. There were way more than three, and people just kept doing what they were doing. They were ignoring him, uh, They, but they kept hiking. They stayed on the trail. Some of them tried to avoid where they were camping to avoid him, but at the same time, they kept basically doing the same thing. And when you have these three anomalies, you've got to change. You've, you must change. Whether it's three weather events or you've forgotten three pieces of equipment, this is all stuff that you need to, to listen to and pay attention to and uh, not ignore. So, guys, before we go any further, I just want to throw in that we do have in this tiny survival guide. And, again, this is, this is, not, this is a proactive and a reactive gu- guide. Proactively, you can use this to just queue up in your mind and practice some strategies, develop some strategies, some techniques, some skills, and also reactively if you find yourself in a, in a situation that you can refer to it there. Now, there is a section in here on personal self-defense, and there's some things in Section D that have to do with attack, active shooter, those sorts of immediate response things. And also, I want to mention to you guys another resource that we have over at the survivalshow.com where there's two self-defense videos that Craig did, and those just step you through some more, uh, a little bit more in-depth of items to be aware of, and uh, specifically, five weapons that you have on you all the time that if you practice beforehand, you can uh, protect yourself. Craig, do you have anything else on that? Uh, no, uh, other than uh, my book, Extreme Wilderness Survival, has a whole chapter dedicated to self-defense, both armed and unarmed. So that's another resource for you, too. And both of those resources, just to be clear, because we got some criticism because of it, it's not intended, hey, I'm in the middle of a fight and I pull my guide out or a book and read it. Right. Uh, right, it's, right. it's obviously a, a pre-event way of knowing some things that you can practice and and uh, even my book goes into detail about how to find a good teacher in your area so that you can learn some good self-defense skills. Yep. It's really good. Do you want to get into some warning signs that we can recognize and how to overcome any things like uh, normalcy bias, all that yeah. sort of stuff? Yeah, I think that's a real good topic to get into because this is exactly what the problem was in this particular situation. And it happens over and over and over again. And uh, it's so common that all of us do it, or at least most of us do it. And, uh, and again, it was done in this one. Normalcy bias is just basically we as a species, we humans tend to normalize everything that's around us. And meaning everything ranging from, um, if you're, for example, in this situation, hey, I'm on the trail. Uh, I know all this craziness is going on, but nothing bad's going to happen to me. It's going to be okay. That's normalizing it. Uh, another instance that's separate from this particular story is you see somebody in a restaurant, they're choking, um, they're, they're trying to breathe and they go to the bathroom because they're embarrassed and you normalize it by saying, Oh, she'll be okay. Or he'll be okay. And you just let them do their thing. And that's the person that goes in the bathroom and chokes to death and dies. If we don't, you know, we don't want to normalize that. That is something that stands out. 
don't normalize it. Don't make it something that's okay. If it's something is standing out to you, you need to do something about it. Uh, again, especially when they start stacking up because all of us, including me, I've had a situation recently, very recently within the last week with me where I was recognizing some situations and, and two of them stacked up. And so I started making adjustments in case the third one happened for, for, uh, for my safety. And, uh, and it did, it did happen. And, and I needed to utilize just my ability of recognizing that things were changing and I needed to adjust my position so that, so that I could maintain my safety. So very important, recognize anomalies for what they are. And that is anomalies and you should pay attention to them rather than normalizing them. The second would be focus lock. Uh, Focus lock was, I think more than anything, the problem with this situation focus lock is what is anything that we get uh, focused in on and we just ignore or do not pay attention to everything else that's going on around us. So in modern times, that obviously is our phones. We got our nose down in our phones. We're not paying attention where we're walking. We're not paying attention to the conversations that are around us. We're ignoring our families and what have you. Uh, That's focus lock. On the trail, what happened, and I alluded to this earlier, people have a a really strong tendency to be on a trail and, Hey, I've got to get these 20 miles in today, or I've got to get to that next summit. And that's where the shelter is. So we're going to go, nothing's going to stop me from going to that shelter. Because if you're not familiar on the AT, you're supposed to most of the way stay in shelters that are built for the purpose of staying in. So you just, so the whole forest doesn't get destroyed with different camps. And, um, I, I, people, admitted and stated that they didn't want to come off the trail to deal with the legal issues, nor did they want to adjust what it is they were doing. And so they were simply focused on that particular aspect of it. The way to overcome that is to regularly and constantly ask yourself, and I tell our tracking students this all the time, ask yourself, what am I missing? Look up, look down, look left, look right. Um, what, What is it that you're missing? Uh, Ever so often you might catch yourself and you feel like you have been doing something mindlessly. Uh, A lot of people mention this when they're driving. They look up and, man, they've gone 10 miles and they don't remember driving the last 10 miles. Well, uh, that's focus lock uh, or that's mindlessness. When you recognize that you've gone mindless and not paying attention to your surroundings, then literally you don't have to physically stop, but at the very least stop what you're doing in your mind adjust, look up, look down, look left, look right. What am I missing? I might be missing something really cool to see. I might be missing some psychopath coming up behind me with a knife. So that is how we overcome focus lock. And the last thing that I would like to mention here is avoidance and awareness is the key to all self-defense. The best way to win a fight is to not be in a fight in the first place. And so if you know um, that, that something is possibly going to happen, then do everything you can to avoid it. Uh, you know, Homeland Security talks about in active aggressor training, we've talked about this in our podcast is this mindset of run, hide, fight. And for those that don't have much training, it's a really good way of handling yourself in, an, in a situation where somebody's going to be an aggressor to you. Like this AT tragedy is, is you you run, you get away. You just create distance between you and the threat. And when you can't run away anymore, if for some reason, then you hide. And when you are hiding and the threat is still right in front of you, you got to do something. That's when you fight. And you fight with everything you got, like a wild animal. 
the other part of this goes back to focus lock, which is just awareness. Avoidance and awareness are the two keys. Awareness is just paying attention to what's going on around you and knowing that this guy's on the trail and not ignoring that he's on the trail. Those things are very important. Yeah, they are. And, and Craig, I just want to maybe veer off a little bit here and apply these to just like everyday situations in our lives. I know that just as a man, this isn't manly musings, but as a man, normalcy bias can even help happen in my relationships, even relationship with my wife, with my with my kids, my friends. And I often say that, you know, it's not a problem until it's a problem. You know, it's, it's, um, you know, looking at our own lives, even instead of looking out, I think sometimes it's good to look in to evaluate our relationships or our business dealings are, uh, I know a lot of people that are in work situations where things that should not be normal are normal because, you know, they need a job, they want a roof over their head. So you get 10, 15, 20 years down the road and you hate what you're doing and you find out that your employer really didn't care all that much for you after you invested the last 15 years uh, of your life in their company. So I'm just looking at all this saying that beyond the trail, and I don't want to get too far off the trail here, but beyond the trail, I think this normalcy bias, uh, focus lock can apply in so many different areas. I'm even, I, I just see it all. You see it all the time. People are in their cell phones. They're out in a dark parking lot standing for five minutes in the parking lot, totally unaware of what's going on around them, uh, texting or doing whatever. Um, and even, even in, in my own life, th- that phone that's focusing on social media or whatever can take my focus off of things that are more important. For instance, you know, engaging with people that are with me at that particular time. So I'm just looking all, at all this saying there are some applications if we're a little bit introspective, but not too far off the trail where we can look at these principles we're talking about today and apply them to our own lives and, and maybe be better husbands, fathers, you know, daughters and sons. Right on. I agree hundred percent. These definitely are not terms that are specific just for self-defense. They apply to work. They apply to, to uh, farm work and work in the corporate life, work at home, all that good stuff. So was that clear? Did you have, did you have any more questions about those things for me about as it relates to this? If not, I'm going to dig into some self-defense stuff. Yeah. I'm thinking let's dig into the self-defense side. Yeah. Okay, so first things first, as far as self-defense is concerned, is awareness. You know, a lot of people that are focused in on self-defense will talk about pay attention to the hands because the hands kill. So when you see somebody coming towards you, it would be easy to connect with their face because we, again, as a species, that's natural to us. But we as, as defenders of ourselves need to watch the hands, at least pay attention to what is in their hands. And if you can't see their hands, then I'm going to be concerned about that, especially in this situation where uh, this guy has already exhibited uh, weird or and or strange behavior. He's coming up to me and I don't see his hands or I look in his hands and he's got a knife. Then, then I'm going to be really concerned. I'm going to be prepping myself to fight. I'm going to be positioning myself to put something between me and a person like that. And uh, those hands, man, those hands are vital. 
there was some discussion. I read two or three articles and, and Tracy, and I mean, I always talk about Tracy cause we talk so much, but we were talking about it, a totally different situation for a search. There's huge search that happened for a small child here in Kentucky in the last two days, three days. And I've read about 30 different, uh, stories online. I've talked to people that were there. I were, I talked to people that were with the child when they found the child and the news is so incredibly terrible at presenting information. There's so many different stories. Same is true here, but I did hear that this guy had a machete. Uh, it seems like he didn't have a machete. He simply had a big knife. Um, so either way, no matter what's going on, if I see that in somebody's hands, I'm going to be aware of it. Anytime that somebody, and, and I'm not a person that needs to be discussing the law, uh, but you need to be aware of what your laws are and what your rights are to self-defense, wherever you might be. And um, when it comes to somebody that is going to attacking you with a weapon, then it might be that your best answer is to answer with a weapon. You know, you can have any number of weapons on a trail that you might have with you. You can pick up a stick from the ground. You might have bear spray with you. You could have knives. You could have a gun. Um, any and all weapons that you might have with you are things that you, beyond a shadow of a doubt, need to train with. If you're going to think you're going to pick up a stick and use it to defend yourself, then I would I would practice some stick fighting, uh, Filipino stick fighting or some variation of it. If you're going to have bear spray and you think you might use it for self-defense or use it on an actual bear, then... I would buy an extra canister of it just to just to spray it, so I know how it works. Get some training with it. No, it comes out in a stream and goes about fifteen feet. No, it comes out in a in a spray and goes out five feet. You need to know these things before you need it. Uh, knives the same way. Knives are incredibly difficult to deal with in a self defense situation. Uh, the best answer for a knife attack is to get away, create, well, the best answer for any attack is to get away and create distance. But at the very least we need to, is to make sure that we are creating distance because it's hard for somebody to stab us when there's, you know, 400 feet between us and them. And then a gun uh, is an incredibly dangerous tool to use if you have no training. So get training get all the training you can possibly get something over and above a concealed carry permit, something where you actually get on a range and learn how to function a weapon and then have a good instructor that gives you some help on what you can do when you're not on the range so that you can continue training. You don't have to waste a lot of ammo to do it either. There's a lot of training you can do sitting in your home with an empty firearm or with a uh, firearm that's designed to be used for training. That's not capable of being loaded, but, uh, you know, a red gun or a blue gun or something of that nature, but you need to train, you need to practice. Now, Craig, is there anything that people need to know as far as self-defense in matching force or appropriate use of force? Like for instance, if you see somebody with a, with a knife, is there a, a feeling threatened uh, clause or something where it's appropriate to pull out a gun or do you have anything to say about that? Yeah. And this is why I mentioned I'm, a, I'm not a, attorney. I'm not a lawyer. Um, but basically the, your ability to defend yourself is going to change from state to state here in the United States of America. It's going to be different here than it is in Illinois and different here in Kentucky, for example, than maybe in Pennsylvania where David is. So there's no blanket statement that I can say this is the answer, but, but, um, the main thing, and this is why I'm a huge fan of concealing 
concealed carry permits is that in most of that training, you get real, you get a real good education on what your rights and abilities are within your area. And so get into a class like that, or at least contact an instructor and ask them about that. And if you're a through hiker and you want to carry a gun, for example, then you need to know what your rights are going from state to state. And if you're a concealed carry permit holder, there's some states you might not be able to carry in. Um, for example, I might have a permit here in Kentucky, but I can't carry in West Virginia or Virginia when I'm going. I'm not saying you can or can't. I'm just saying maybe I can. Maybe I can't. I need to know that because you're basically breaking the law. Uh, I, I posted this topic on another Facebook page that it that has about 100,000 members in it that are hikers. And just just to see what people said, and most of the people there were saying, and I'm not encouraging you to do this, but I'm just telling you what most hikers say is they have, they either in one of two camps, they either avoid guns altogether, or they carry guns and they just keep them concealed, and nobody ever knows they're there. They never talk about them. Um, that has some benefit. I like concealed carry when it's legal. Uh, but you've got to be able to train to get to your firearm. If you get your firearm down in the bottom of your pack and this situation happens, it's not worth a hill of beans. Um, you couldn't have got to your gun fast enough to handle this situation. So, you know, there's, uh, I don't make any money off them, but I love the guys, uh, the, on the Manly Musings podcast that came out right before this podcast, I interviewed, uh, Evan Hill of Hill People Gear, they have chest kit bags that have concealed carry pockets on them for this very subject. I mean, it's these those those things were made for this particular situation. So you've got a weapon that's very easy to to get to. It's right sitting right on your chest. I trained in a whole class eight hours one day in uh, using and pulling my gun from concealment on my chest just so I could have the practice in on it, and uh, it's. It's it's a nice little little kit bag. If you ever see pictures of me on the internet teaching classes, I almost have one of those on my chest almost all the time. Craig, if you don't mind, can we talk just a little bit more about concealed carry and maybe even holstering uh, the different types and what you would recommend to people? Um, yeah, I'm not an expert on this, but I do have a fair amount of experience. I can share what my way of doing thing is. It's not necessarily the way of doing things, but I used to carry in leather. Uh, but, um, when I, I carry concealed and I'm doing something like, Hey, I'm hiking, I'm sweating. Uh, my, I was in a class and my gun got stuck in my holster and I had a very difficult time getting it out because of so much moisture on the leather. I then started carrying in Kydex and haven't had an issue since. I mean, Kydex can get wet and it's not an issue. Um, so I do carry, uh, Kydex. Uh, there's a couple of companies that I recommend Bravo concealment, uh, NSR, uh, those are two companies that I've utilized. If you follow us on Facebook, I've got a couple of friends that make leather holsters that are made in such a way that sweat is not an issue. They're they're nearly works of art. Bill Dyer and those guys, they make some fantastic equipment too. But, um, you know, you, you want to carry and you want to practice wherever you carry. So if you're carrying on your belt and then you got a um, a belt pack where there's a larger belt over top of your firearm, then, Hey, <laughs> you need to, you need to practice drawing from that position. Uh, you need to, you need to be in a position where, uh, you you're on the ground. Uh, what do you do when you're at camp? You know, do you, if you have the gun in a holster and it's on your, um, belt of your pack and you take your pack off, what do you do with your gun? You better have a solution for that. 
So those are all methods. You know, I'm I'm not a fan at all, at all, and and no person that has very much understanding of this at all is is hosters like Uncle Mike's nylons and and stuff of that nature. That's just you know, if you have a if you have a holster that's made to to fit several different guns, then you need to not buy that. You need to buy a holster that's designed for your specific weapon. You're going to spend some money on it, maybe close to $100. It's worth every single penny. It's good stuff, Craig. So you want to get into some unarmed techniques and, and stuff that people need to know? Yeah, we covered this pretty much in depth, you all. For those listening, it's it's uh, there's some nice pictures of me and my son doing some stuff in the Tiny Guide. If you're wondering who those beautiful models are in your Tiny Guide, uh, that's actually my you know strapping young son that's uh, taking the brunt of elbows and stuff from me in the tiny guide. But yeah, um, I'm a big, uh, I've been a martial arts instructor for a long time and I'm a big fan of simplicity here. Keep it simple, stupid. Um, martial arts training has its benefits without a doubt. Obviously I did it for over two decades and still do it. And uh, I think it's valuable time spent, but you need to learn how to use gross motor skills, things like hands, elbows, knees, and feet. How do you deploy them? Uh, The tiny guide goes into that, but, just in brief, your hands you're going to utilize as what we refer to as palms and hammers. You hit with the base of your palm as hard and as fast as you can, and you can use hammers where you make fists, but you don't use the fingers of your hand to strike because that'll break your hand rather easily. You use the bottom portion of your hand to strike as if your arm is a hammer. Uh, that is an incredibly devastating tool to utilize for your defense. Uh, elbows are a so Craig. Yeah, can ahead. I just step you back? So you're yeah. saying that yeah. we should not punch somebody with a standard fist. Is that yeah. what you're trying uh, to say here? Yeah, I am saying that. Thank you for clarifying. But yeah, uh, the more you use your hand, basically what happens is you're going to break a bone in your hand more often than not, unless you have a lot of training and you know how to hit with your hand, you know how to hold your hand, and so um, when that happens, you. Well, your mind overrides your desire to defend. It's not that you won't throw your hands. You'll continue to throw your hands and damage them. But your body, your mind does not want you to hit as hard the next time because you hurt it. And so if you can use your hands where you're uh, being effective and utilizing them as tools to defend yourself, but at the same time you're not damaging yourself, then you can continue to throw those palms and those hammers in such a way that you're going to unleash them some devastation and at the same time not bring harm to yourself. Does that make sense? Yep, it sure does. Elbows. Elbows are close quarters. Uh, somebody's up on you. You, you. you should keep people outside your circle, outside of that arm's reach. Uh, if they get within that arm's reach and they're doing stuff that you need to defend yourself, then elbows are going to, you're going to unleash elbows as hard and as fast as you can. Knees as well. Knees, a good knee to the, to the groin, knees to the, side of the leg, feet to the side of the leg where you're taking the knee, the, uh, the, the aggressor's knees out are really good tools. Uh, all of these are the ones that you need to be utilizing in this manner. And this is very, very important. And that is uh, surprise, speed, and violence of action. If somebody's going to be an aggressor to you, when you decide that you cannot run away, you cannot hide anymore, and you've got to fight, then you're going to surprise them, you're going to hit them with speed, and you're going to hit them with a violence of action as if you just turned on a Wolverine and can't turn it off until the threat is neutralized. 
And so um, it, it's not like it is in the movies. All you got to do is watch YouTube, watch fights on YouTube. And I'm not saying get entertainment value out of it, but I do just for the educational side of it is very rarely do you see people just getting that one punch, boom, knockout, and then they just fall down. That doesn't happen a lot. And so you're going to have to fight like an animal, uh, particularly where your life is threatened like this this particular situation was out in the middle of the woods. So let me step you back into the surprise aspect. So, and, and back onto the trail. So I, I don't know the exact scenario, but you're already aware that this guy is, he's not right. And he shows a knife. He starts appro- approaching you. He gets aggressive. Now he kind of has the surprise aspect. How do you gain surprise back from a person like this? Well, most people will start to act as a victim. A real good story is that, you know, you've got a stranger walking up to you in the dark on a street and as they're walking up to you, you go, hey, do you have the time? And that at least gets them out of what's referred to as their OODA loop. Uh, And the OODA loop is basically we have to observe something, orient to it, decide, and then act. We're going to do it. And anytime that we interrupt somebody's OODA loop, they have to start back at their OODA loop to get something done. And so if somebody's got it on their mind, hey, I'm going after this guy, I'm going to stab him, and you get in their OODA loop, which would be difficult. I'm not saying it's easy. You get in in their OODA loop, then they, again, have to observe you, orient, and decide, and then act. And that is the surprise. When you get inside their OODA loop, and you know this guy's coming after you with a knife, then you stop him, you scream, you throw something at them that surprises them, and then you hit them with everything you've got. Surprise, speed, and then violence of action. That's really good. So there's another thing here, and I'm just I'm actually just going to tell everybody, I'm looking at the tiny guide now here. There's a section in there on repelling an attacker. We've got shout, show, shove, and shoot. <laughs> Do you want to talk through those? Yeah, I was getting ready to bring those up, and I didn't okay. know if we had those in the tiny guide or not. Yeah, Shout, show, shove, and shoot there. is something that Rodney Van Zant taught me. Rodney Van Zant, just fantastic dude. He's a friend. He's taught me so much about firearms training, and and um, I actually talked to him today, but but um, in, about this subject. And shout, show, shove, and shoot is basically you shout, which is basically you use your voice to let somebody know, hey, stop, don't come any closer. Um, you show, meaning, hey, you let them know I'm going to defend myself. You shove, which is creating distance. You could create distance by running away too. And then shoot is if you have a firearm or you have another tool, then you utilize it to defend yourself. But you're doing everything you can to put distance with your words, with your physical stance. And uh, at least it should hope to stop some people. Uh, Obviously, I don't think it would have stopped this guy but at least you make those attempts to bust him out of his OODA loop. And when, and when the attempts didn't work, then, you, then you're going to hammer him with everything you got. I have never heard this OODA loop thing. That, it, it actually, I almost laughed when you said it. OODA loop. Where does um, that come from? Yeah. It's, it's military training. Um, more often than not, it's law enforcement training. So if you run in circles where people carry guns, you'll run across the OODA loop. You'll run across uh, Cooper's color code of awareness and stuff of that nature. And so that's, that's all, that's all, that's been around for a long time. So I did a, a manly musings on the topic. You should listen to my podcast, David. <laughs> Which one was it? <laughs> I don't know, man. It's a long time ago. Can you run through what that is one more time? The OODA loop, observe, yep. observe. orient. Orient decide 
and then act. So gotcha. it's basically the decision-making process you, you make in just seconds to do something. And we do it when we're shooting a basketball. We, we do it when we're going to function a firearm. Uh, we observe where we're going to shoot. We orient ourselves to shoot. We decide to shoot, and then we actively shoot. And this guy that was coming on, he observed the people that he wanted to attack. He oriented, meaning he was walking to them. He decided he was going to stab them, and then he started stabbing them. If those people could have somehow stopped any one of those steps, then the guy has to go back to the beginning of observing. And it it is mm-hmm. milliseconds. But it is the milliseconds you need to maybe get out of the way, get behind a tree, to remove yourself altogether, and and so uh, understanding how the mind works in that in those milliseconds is is really important. Craig, that alone, the OODA loop was alone was worth the price of admission today, and it also shows how long ago my military training was. I I had never heard of this before. So we have one more here. Craig, playing dead. Yeah, the reason I brought this up, you all, in this particular situation is is that after Mr. Sanchez was aggressed and murdered, this psychopath went after a female and he cut her, at least stabbed her. It's unclear from the stories, but it sounds, the more stories I read it's in, and the picture's getting more clear, I think he stabbed her. She fell down and played dead. And he left her alone. And I want to make sure that we discuss that that is not the best thing to do in that situation. I am very, very happy that it worked for her. Um, but most aggressors would not stop until the threat was dead and maybe even worse. I mean, just continue to hack on somebody after they're dead. She was very fortunate that this person was mentally unstable enough that the normal thing that happens, the person would have continued hurting her. The best answer is surprise speed and violence of action. If you get aggressed, then you're going to fight until you die and, and keep going at it like that. I, I just, I know it was successful for this girl in this particular situation, but I just want to make sure that people know statistically, that's probably not the thing that should be done. One more thing I want to just loop back around to Craig and again, this is just something from the tiny guide. And the first thing that we have in there, as far as the five weapons you always have, is the brain. Let's just say that somebody's coming after you. You want to just talk about the importance of, of the brain and why we even have that in the tiny guide. The brain is there so your head is there to help you run, hide, fight to remind you of those things when you come to those needs. You also have your voice, and you should use your voice to stop people, to uh, to adjust their OODA loop so that they can't get in the middle of it. Or, I mean, you get in the middle of their OODA loop and stop it. And at the same time, you may be able to stop somebody right in their tracks if you scream loud enough. Um, so those are all ways that you can use your head. Yep. And the, the main thing is, if you get in a hand-to-hand conflict, you need to protect that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Your head is like the the hard drive of the computer that runs the rest of you. And so if you're not protecting your head, then some your head gets, you know, when I say your head, hold your arms up and hold your arms out with the outer portion of your forearm away from your head. In case somebody's slashing you with a knife, they cut you in the forearm, they might, they'll cut 
muscle tissue, your forearm may very well not ever work the same way again. But if you hold it up where the palms of your hands are facing your aggressor, the classic movie scene where somebody puts their hands up, then what you're doing is you're exposing, exposing your veins and arteries on the inside of your arm. Those get cut and you can bleed to death in short order. So you hold your arms up in front of you. You're protecting your carotid arteries on both sides of your neck, which, you know, you cut those, you're going to be dead in about two minutes. Um, there's no tourniquet that can go there. So, I mean, there's nothing you can do really. Um, so uh, protect that at all costs. Protect your head because you get unconscious. There's nothing you can do. So it's it's vital to protect that, to protect that noggin of yours. Craig, I, th- I think this was all really helpful, but it was a lot of stuff okay, I'm going to put you on the spot and you have to know by now that this is coming. Can we come up with three action steps for people to take now? I mean, a lot of people are going to get out on the trail. They're going to go camping. They're going to be around people that they don't know. They may be in wilderness areas where, you know, they've otherwise felt they were completely safe without getting too anxious about all of this. What could people do to increase their safety and security? out in the quiet wilderness places? Um, Okay. Tough question. Um, Let's put a lifetime of energy into about three things here. Uh, Number one is learn how to control your ego. Um, That is avoidance more than anything is, is if somebody's going to be an aggressive to you, then again, create distance between you and them. Set your ego aside. Don't try to be um, a hero. Don't try to prove yourself. Just create distance. Um, awareness, have situational awareness all the time. Make sure you're paying attention to what's going on around you. Um, one of the reasons I don't find it attractive personally, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. It's just not me personally. One thing that I don't find attractive about hiking the AT is camping with people that I do not know. Uh, you're forced to, it's, you have to, you have to camp in shelters. And unfortunately, um, unfortunately for in an event like this, it makes us scared to do that at all. But there's, you know, there's so many people. I know one person that is on the trail right now, and she is just north of where this situation happened. Uh, she was right where this situation happened last week, I think, because I'm following her and what she's doing on the AT. She's a student of ours. She's a teacher of mine. She's taught me many things. So, I mean, she's, you know, just good nature, line school people. But uh, And I had a a family member that hiked it last year, and they talk about how fun it is to be out on the trail, and they call it a tramley, you know, the trail family. Uh, That might be part of the issue with this particular situation is people did not want to turn him in because he was part of their tramley. And unfortunately, you know, it... It, it, it was a problem here. So if you're going to be aware, I mean, to be aware and you're going to be in a campsite where there's other people, then you need to get to know them as best you can. Don't ignore them. Don't, don't play the victim. As soon as you play the victim, then people that are aggressors can sense that and will use that against you. And the last but not least is absolutely carry tools, carry tools for defense and know how to use them well, because they are a great equalizer. You can be a five foot tall, 98 pound, incredibly small person and be able to defend yourself against a huge monster with the right tools, tools that have training backing it up. Yep. And the right training. Another thing I'll throw in here is prepare for, for the worst, but hope for the best. So prepare for the worst, hope for the best. And Karen and I were just talking about this since she does 
go off often and hike by herself, even this road, which we would assume is safe, but always, always tell someone where you're going and when you're going to be back. And I, I, I can't emphasize enough back to what you said, Craig, is getting some training. And I want to kick that back over to your neck of the woods, Craig, because I've had some of the most fantastic, helpful and practical training out at your school. And I need to get out there this year again. So Craig, anything else? And if not, you want to take us out of here? Yeah, I think that's it, everybody. Again, uh, just just look up uh, self-defense training in your area so you can have some. Uh, obviously, pick up The Tiny Guide, one of my, my book, Extreme Wilderness Survival. And, um, you know, we got videos over there on the survivalshow.com. Just our whole goal, everybody, is to not be paranoid, but to be prepared. I got a lot of criticism when I put a whole chapter in my wilderness survival book about self-defense and firearms and stuff of that nature. And and I'm not gloating at all, but it, the reason is because of situations like this, um, because it's not likely, it's not incredibly statistically probable, but because it's possible, I, I wanted to get people prepared for it. But yeah, that's that's all good stuff. So yeah, uh, I'll send us out of here. I I just want to reiterate for everybody, you guys, that we we have the utmost respect for the victims and their friends and family, and we're we're not in any position right here to second guess what happened on the trail uh, our specific purpose here today is to not allow the deaths to go unnoticed and to be meaningless they're very important lives uh, the gentleman that was killed was a veteran and uh, the lady that was injured is an important person to everybody in her life so we're not making light and we're not second guessing anything that happened to them and what they did at all it's just actually we want to take what happened to them and utilize it to help other people and and, you know if nothing else to help memorialize them so that other people are better prepared Uh, but that's it so uh, as we're heading out subscribe to the podcast now if you are new to us hey thank you for doing that shoot us a five-star review wherever you're listening to us and that way you uh, ensure by subscribing that you won't miss out on this or any episode. And there's so many of you out there that have sent such encouraging words. Uh, I'm getting texts and emails and Facebook messages and, and all that good stuff. And we really appreciate all the encouragement. And thank you so much. Uh, so check out the description below. We'll have links to all the things that we mentioned here that deserve a link. And I think that's it. So thanks, guys. Appreciate you listening. We'll see you next time on the Survival Show Podcast. Keep it simple, be positive, and stay sharp.